the Royal Australian Air Force in person, 1921 to 2021. Ad Astra Aviator. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. The narrator is Gareth McRae, OAM. In the post-Vietnam era, Australian forces have been involved in numerous international peacekeeping missions through the United Nations and other agencies, and these include in the Sinai, Persian Gulf, Rwanda, Somalia, East Timor and the Solomon Islands, as well as many overseas humanitarian relief operations, while more recently they've also fought as part of a multilateral series of forces in Iraq and also Afghanistan. The Air Force has also played a major role in peacekeeping and humanitarian missions, including Bougainville, Cambodia, East Timor, Indonesia, Pakistan, Papua New Guinea, Rwanda, the Solomon Islands, Somalia, and also the Sudan, in which many hundreds of Air Force personnel have been involved. The Iraq War in 2003 saw the Australian Defence Force contribution, which consisted of 2,050 personnel, including 620 RAAF members. Just before I introduce Sergeant Grant Biles, who is a blackhander with the Royal Australian Air Force, and he was involved in Operation Okra. You might recall back in 2014, the Australian Prime Minister at that stage was Tony Abbott, and he was flanked by the Defence Minister and Chief of the Australian Defence Force, publicly announcing that the Australian Defence Force, and in particular, the Royal Australian Air Force was being tasked to join a coalition of nations to stem the tide in the war against terror and ISIS. Well, someone who was there is Sergeant Grant Biles, who is currently serving armament technician, or in Air Force parlance, a blackhander, and he could explain that in just a moment. His career so far has almost been entirely on F-18 classic Hornets. Now, his current role is to supervise the provision of the F-18's firepower, its missiles, bombs and ammunition. He's participated in many of the major international deployments of the F-18, but perhaps none so challenging as Operation Okra. Okra, as I said, is the Australian Defence Force's contribution to the international effort, effort to combat the Islamic State terrorist threat. And he joins me now. Bilesy, how are you? Good, thank you. Nice to be here. It is. Now, I said blackhander. What's a blackhander? Um, so, a blackhander, we are the uh, mechanical technicians on the aircraft, and uh, we provide the air power and the airframe to uh, go off to missions and uh, be successful. And blackhander because you get your hands dirty. Absolutely, yeah. Do you no. really get your hands dirty? <laughs> oh, well, not now. They give us gloves, but um, <laughs> historically, yeah, we are the ones that uh, come in and uh, had the grease and the muck all over us, and... Um, yeah, we carry that legacy to today. So. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, it's a good legacy to, to carry because the importance of ground crew is vital, that without ground crew there'd be, no, there'd be no fighter pilots, no bombers, no airplanes at all. Well, yeah, absolutely. We're the uh, magic minions that uh, sit behind the curtain. And, uh, we're not the romantic guys in the, the green suits that uh, <laughs> everyone wants to put their cameras on, but... Yeah, all the stuff uh, that happens behind the scenes, that's the 
the engineering department and uh, the other trades, uh, multiple, yeah, a lot of other trades that get involved. Bilesy, everyone, and by the way, I'm calling him his Bilesy because he told me to. His first name is Grant, but Bilesy will do me. Of all of the people I've spoken to, and I spoke to a World War II pilot a little while ago in these series of podcasts, and everyone has always said, everyone who flies has always said, without the ground crew, without the maintenance, we would not exist. So don't ever think to undersell your own role. It's vital. I've got to ask, you've been in the Air Force, what, 20 years? Yeah, it's just approaching 20 years now, so... You had a choice. You could have joined the Army or the Navy. Why did you choose the Air Force? Uh, Well, I had a... My first career was with uh, Qantas Airways, and I was a black-hander with uh, uh, Australia's biggest airline at the time, so through the 90s, and uh, came back to Newcastle, and uh, somehow I... I thought I'll give this aeroplane thing a crack again and uh, saw recruiting and Air Force was my one, my only goal. Yeah, so you obviously started very young with, with Qantas. Uh, yeah, I was uh, 19. I hadn't even flown in a plane before I fixed one, <laughs> which is... Uh, <laughs> yeah. which... What's involved in... I mean, when you talk about maintenance of an aircraft, the aeroplane comes back from a mission or comes back from a test pilot, it lands. What do you then do? Well, here we have one taking off now. Listen to that sound again. What's involved in fixing that thing? Well, yeah, just as we hear one of our uh, 77 Squadron Hornets just take off now and another one. I think there'll probably be another two after (laughs) that, but we'll wait. What's involved in fixing it? Well, before they fly, they get their inspections, uh, a pre-flight inspection. Uh, One of our technicians will go out and uh, make sure it's good to fly for the day. And when it does come back, we assess um, the pilot's information or one of the codes that gets spat out of the computers. And um, we just go and make them serviceable again. If I take my car in 2021 into a mechanic he plugs a computer lead into the car and the computer can tell him all the things that need doing on the car is that pretty much the same as an aeroplane yeah very very much so and a lot of the aeronautical technology is uh comes down to automotive eventually um it's been doing that way for eons so um yeah very very much so so do each of you have your own area of speciality that of the kind of fighter or plane that you deal with is the f-18 your baby uh, to me, yes. I've, uh, as in my introduction, I've only ever worked on the F-18 while in the Air Force. Um, we do have a mix of excellent technicians that have performed on, on other platforms and have come across. And you just have to take their experience, and they do bring fantastic ideas, sure. and we can adapt those into our own workings and our own culture. And it does make a difference and makes us a a better workforce really right right how special to you is the f-18 i mean it's it's got a lot of history it does have a lot of history and um for me personally being able to uh spend my time and learn the aircraft and become uh pretty experienced in that aircraft and to take it into theater uh it's yeah it's 
very, very special to me and um, being able to tick that box. Uh, you know, if we are going into theatre, it's, it's pretty serious business. Yeah, I can right? ima- yes, I can imagine a lot depends on how good you are and of course we are among you are among the best you've been involved in a lot of places across the planet Uh, you've been in a lot of exercises let's just go through them step by step operation red flag was in las vegas what what did that involve uh so red flag is a uh, multi-nation uh operation um there are a lot a lot of planes and a lot a lot of people a lot of moving parts within the exercise itself and um, we can't replicate that experience anywhere else, so we go off to these exercises, and it's it's really hard to tell your your wife or partner or significant other that yes, I'm going to go and work in Las Vegas for a period of time, and um, without getting that, you can imagine the, <laughs> the looks that you get off off your better half, but. Uh, That's the sound of your better half chasing you to Las Vegas. Yeah, sorry, go on. Absolutely, yeah. But the the experience and uh, it just sums up what the Air Force is about, right? So we we make ourselves better, and uh, in the meantime, we go to some really really awesome locations. Sure, sure. Well, while you're in Las Vegas and working with other nations in terms of your background and skill. What kinds of things do you glean or do you learn from the other per- people in terms of how to better do what you do on the F-18, for argument's sake? Um, well, the Americans, they're, they're, it's their plane. They, they know this thing inside out and um, the way their trades specialise in systems within the aircraft, uh, we, can, we do glean and we get that relationship and that, that broadens our skills on particular systems, things we don't know. Right. You moved from Las Vegas in, I think, was it Exercise Cape North to Guam. Same, same sort of deal? What, what happened there? Yeah, well, Guam, um, well, Guam is where America wakes up, essentially. It's, uh, <laughs> it is uh, an American um, territory. Yep. And again, it's another multi-nation exercise, and um, it's not the same as what Red Flag would be. but um, How does it differ? Oh, just different components of the flying. The maintenance is very much similar wherever we go, um, but how the aircrafts are configured and and whatnot could make a difference within the exercises. And uh, a lot of it, it has to do with uh, the flying benefit um, that we see and what the what the the air crew get out of it. Mm. Yeah, we just get some awesome memories as well. I can, I can imagine. Still with your partner back in Australia. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh... We, we better not dwell on that. How, uh, how was the relationship between mechanics from the USAF? It's, uh, it is key because sometimes we, you know, if we need something that's, that we haven't brought over, a component or whatnot, and our logistics team can organise to, can we use one from another service or whatnot. Yeah. So that's that's key because, you know, our whole Air Force is busy. We just can't grab a part from Williamtown or our other base in uh, Tyndall and just get it somewhere. There's sure. A, there's a whole 
um, logistic system that has to wind up behind our decisions to change a component. Understand. In speaking to some of the pilots, existing pilots with the RAF, they talk about the wonderful relationship between pilots in the United States and pilots in Australia. Does that same brotherhood, does that same bondship exist at your level as well? And when I say your level, I mean the mechanical level? Yeah, there's definitely a kinship. There's a familiarity of planes, you know, um, when we're out on a plane at three, four o'clock in the morning and we look over and our counterparts are doing the same thing, it's that um, acknowledgement or nod that, yeah, no, we're all in this doing the same thing together. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. You've been everywhere. All right, let's go to Japan. That was uh, Operation Bushido. How good was that? Bushido Guardian, it was... Uh, well, flying, to us, to a technician, flying is, is flying, but uh, going to Japan, um, putting ourselves completely out of our comfort zone culturally, it was um, absolutely an amazing experience, and the Japanese just treated us so well. It was, um, yeah, words can't describe it. it. It was absolutely amazing. So the relationship between Australia and Japan in the Air Force is exact, equally as strong as it is with the United States? Yeah, well, uh, growing those diplomatic relationships are levels far above mine, but, uh, yeah, just that benefit of um, what we bring to them and what they bring to us uh, within that region. As I said, that's a political thing that mm. uh, I don't see or I understand, but you can see there is definite benefit there. A lot of people listening to this right now probably don't realise that our Defence Forces, Navy, Army and the Royal Australian Air Force, really are at the tip of the, uh, the weapon in terms of building foreign relationships and strengthening foreign relationships because you do it working so closely to each other and depending on each other. Yeah, well, um, that interoperability, what, yeah. which we, we call it, is um, it's key because, because of the size of our... Our, our force itself mm. it's not an extremely large one but we do pack a punch and what we provide um, in combination with other nations uh, becomes key uh, and our obviously our relationship with the US is well publicized and um, defense's involvement is you know um, quite significant in that and you can see that at all levels you don't you don't have to um, be sitting in Parliament or uh, the, the higher ranks of defence to see that. Mm. Um, you said our force is not very large, but it does pack a punch. How strong is that punch? Oh, it's massive. Um, I've been on other exercises and I've had US equivalents come up to me and... Um, They've watched how we work. Uh, a good example, the first time was in Red Flag in 2012. Uh, our jets would come back from a mission and um, the US that we didn't know they were observing us, we'd just jump out of our chairs, go and do a handover with the pilot, see what's going on with the aircraft. He'd see us walk out with some tools, then come back, and then the next mission would go. Um, so just that culture and way we understand our jobs to not have to be pushed or told what to do, it becomes quite automatic. And uh, that culture within our organisation um, 
yeah, that that's established quite well. And I, we just do that. I love watching the uh, motorsports, especially Bathurst every year, um, and the success of Bathurst. The car, the driver, depends on how good the pit crew is. And watching the pit crew, you know, tyres in, petrol in, blah, 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 it's pretty much the same for the Air Force. I mean, what you do, isn't it? You, you're the pit crew. Well, yeah, that coordination of effort and um, through multiple trades, you know, we, just like them, we react to what's in front of us. And our end goal is, you know, when we're on these big exercises and especially OCRA, our end goal as technicians is not to fail or not have a mission go complete. And um, thankfully for my rotation, uh, we had a 100% uh, success rate as far as there were no failures on behalf sure. of the mechanical issues. Let's talk about your rotation and I've mentioned at the start Operation Okra, which of course started in 2014 and it predominantly to start with involved the Royal Australian Air Force because the then Prime Minister Tony Abbott made that very very clear. Um, it, it helped to oust Islamic State. Firstly, what was your role in Operation Okra and when did you arrive? Um, so our role was we took over from the existing 77 squadron that was there, uh, did a handover and just continued the missions that were provided to us. So um, for a lot of us, as I said before, when we go in and we're dropping bombs, it's pretty serious. Um, we've had a lot of our members before us on other platforms go over and experience the Middle East, but when you uh, are required to drop bombs, it's pretty, it's pretty serious mm. stuff. It's um, <clears throat> often our leaders called it the grand final of, sure. of what we do. And um, for us, it was key to get in there and establish, because we didn't have any experience or the experience of 2003, those members just weren't around anymore. So before you go over there, you have this romantic idea of what, what it's going to be like and uh, you get there and realities, you know, it sets upon you pretty quick. You know, we're not, uh, we're not accommodated in horrible, horrible accommodation or that, but um, just the conditions and what's expected. You get a, a reality check very, very quickly. Yeah. So um, to us, it was, it was very new and again, it was an, an amazing experience to be part of. You've been to Las Vegas, you've been to Guam, you've been to Japan, you live in Australia. Uh, the terrain and temperature, how big a shock or how did you accommodate your body to that kind of environment when you got to the Middle East? Well, it's a, uh, I honestly didn't know what to expect and um, I think that was a good thing, uh, not having any great expectations. The week before we arrived, it flooded. It flooded. Uh, it flooded, yeah. So uh, the poor 77 crews that were there before us were, were getting mud out of uh, our accommodation tents and our, our working accommodation. And it's, you know, we just don't relate. I, as I said, I had no preconception of what the place was, but um, to arrive and there's just pools of water everywhere and it just doesn't run off. Like you have a, a flash flood here and two, three days later that there's not a lot of groundwater. Yeah. Uh, two months later, the groundwater was still in place. So um, to go from that, and we went into 
it wasn't their hot season but we measured 50 plus degrees days on them that has got to be a magic sound where is there exactly where, where were you based um we're based in um Minhad. there's not a number three you were based in uh base called amab our um, min head so um yeah yeah we were in the compound okay so, you, so you said there was a flood yeah. what about the what about the tarmac oh the tarmac that was raised enough not to not, not to, to see flood that, but yeah the uh between the working accommodations and our base accommodation it was um you just see pools of water lying around and they just wouldn't go anywhere. So effectively you were doing mechanical work in, in, in water up to your ankles? Uh, no, they were, they were off our, our, work, our, oh, okay. our working lines. Okay. But um, yeah, it, was just, it took forever for this water to go away. But uh, yeah, we worked, uh, it was definitely dry where we worked, but the temperature, some days it would get up to 50, but on the tarmac itself, this it be reading 60 on the tarmac 60 wow yeah yeah okay that's very difficult to prepare yourself for there were wedge tails there there were kc 30a's there uh, that were used for fueling there were hornets there there were super hornets there your main job was hornets or super hornets or both uh super hornets super- uh, sorry hornets only super hornets uh had left by the time we got there okay so we were rotating those aircraft got rotated out and different air crews for the three different styles of aircraft? Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was never a crossover? No, no. The, um, our pilots are very much uh, attuned to their own. They're trained on their own platforms. So, yeah, they rarely, rarely cross. But no mechanical crossover? Your um, level? No, we don't operate. We don't interoperate between okay. the squadrons. Okay. But um, as we... Post throughout the years, we do get to work on different planes, except me. <laughs> well, the way you talk, I mean, you obviously, your preference at the moment is still the Hornet. What's so special about the Hornet? Um, I think I came in, I got to work on the Hornet in, I think it was around for about 15, 18 years before right. I got to touch it. Uh, so it was in the, it had been developed and it was in the prime of its existence. And um, it was just a really exceptional aircraft to work on um, most days. <laughs> uh, dep- depends on how much, how much uh, grease you have on you. But um, it's just something that I've been comfortable on and I've been afforded the opportunity to stay sure. around even till now, which we only have one more year of operation after this year and that's it in Catherine at uh, 75 Squadron. Tell me about the next one. What is the next one? I mean, I'm not familiar with all the different configurations in the Air Force. So the uh, I get to go across, I get to go back to 2ACU for uh, the fourth posting time for me. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go and work on the JSF, um, the F-35. So oh, it is the F-35. The F-35. So um, to learn something new um, will be refreshing for myself. Um, and to see how we operate in that environment and to mature a new platform, essentially. Yeah. Again, from a layman's point of view, I think of a mechanic, 
I think of the t- the the technology in the plane, the electronics in the plane, radar, etc., and I think of the ordnance on the plane, the weapons. That three different types of things make up the aeroplane. How do the three different groups of people who work on that inter- that aeroplane interact with each other? Well, um, there's been a massive cultural shift of the way technicians. Um, live together yep. previously we were very very happy and to be independent um atex or black handers we we were in our own section avionics or AT- uh, avtex were in theirs and armament we just pushed them out the back <laughs> um but we all live and breathe in the same area and it's uh you know you get a greater perspective of what each trade does and the extent of what's involved in their tasking um, and it's it's really it really opens your eyes up because you come in you get grandfathered a bit on these people do that and that's how they that's how they operate and it's just not so and when you work together you, you do get that greater insight and uh, of what other people are capable of and the capacity of that trade all right l- let's be specific f-18 lands yep you've got electronics you've got mechanics You've got ordnance. Yep. Who gets first bite of the cherry and how's that decided? Who gets to go up the plane? Me first, I've got to fix the whatever. <laughs> um, so when it lands, the um, our flight line trained. So each of our trades, we take every one of us is essentially trained on flight lining on how to catch and launch aircraft. Uh, the aircraft will come back and depending on what code it spits out uh, is who gets first dibs. Uh, if it's if the jets are playing well and um, they're playing well this week, they come back and they get to fly the uh, the second wave throughout the day. Um, but yeah, those as I said, those we work together very well now. And yeah, you work well uh, together. We work well together, and um, it's just. It's a pretty smooth environment, uh, so we don't jostle too much. Uh, so whatever's broken, uh, according to what trade, we'll, we'll just take that. Yeah, so go back to my, my car example of a moment ago. Some, yep. The first person is obviously going to plug something into the plane to see what's, what's what. Is that, is that what happens? Uh, no, the pilots, will, they'll radio in and they'll say, oh, I've got this. Uh, ah. And then um, whatever trade's available, um, it, they, they require, they'll go and do a debrief with the pilot at the desk when they land. And then we'll assess how far we have to go with the aircraft. Oh, so, Balzi, what are some of the general things that a pilot's coming in? What are some of the general things they'll say it needs fixing or needs looking at on the plane? Um, so, besides the, the codes, will make it very specific where we go. But when we have to talk about, there are some issues that um, don't throw codes, and we have to interpret or assess what the pilot's saying. If we have to get engine data, um, we'll do that plug in plug in and then we uh, go through a series of numbers to see if an engine's blip somewhere or sure. or um, or something like that and um, yeah, it's it's pretty much it's a very a lot of it's plug and play but uh, trying to decipher unserviceabilities okay uh, with the well, l- let me then talk about terrain and temperature um, if a jet which requires 
cleanness of air to operate. If a jet is landing in the desert, in the Middle East, Operation Okra, there's going to be a lot of sand involved. Now, (laughs) this is is going to sound like a silly question, but does that kind of environment determine what is likely to go wrong with with the fighter? Oh, absolutely. We don't have um, a lot of our systems don't have the luxury of filters, which you'd think would be a grand idea. Um, our engines look amazing because they go through sandblasters when they land, so the the blades look very good. Um, but the the aircraft themselves are very very resilient. Even for something this old, the the aircraft is amazing bit of kit. Um, there are certain planes. Planes have their own personality. They really, they really oh, do. I can believe it. Um, so we build a relationship not just with the pilots and, and our other people around us, but the aircraft have their own, their, sorry, their own personality and we get to kind of see or forecast what's going to happen or what's going to happen or how it's acting or, yeah, so... It's a very unique relationship yeah. with the machine. Yeah, Barsley, sometimes you get me by a car and it's a lemon. Have we bought lemons? <laughs> or ha- do you fix a lemon? Do you turn it into an orange? Uh, we absolutely can. Uh, and I've, I've seen this uh, over and over again. Um, a plane will just go somewhere. Some planes don't even like coming to Williamtown. <laughs> I, I absolutely, hand on heart, I've seen planes come down here and in the middle of winter in the cold and they cough and sneeze and fart like like anything from the territory that comes down here. Uh, and then we send them back to Tyndall or Catherine at 75 Squadron and they're right at home and they perform absolutely amazing. And I've seen it time So and when time that again. happens and it comes down here and it coughs and does all the things you said it does, are you able to then say, all right, lady, all right, we'll fix you, and then you make it accommodating to Williamtown? Yeah, and that uh, it comes from... Um, experience in the, the aircraft themselves and knowing, like I described, their personalities, they they do come around. Um, but, yeah, sometimes it just takes a couple, a couple of days. Please tell me you don't name the aircrafts your favourite aircraft. This is Matilda, this is... Do you? <laughs> no, but there, there are certain aircraft that uh, you, you know, become accustomed to being around. Uh, for myself, it's uh, 23, it's our Warramai Hornet. You may see that it's got it's a uh, aircraft um, that was painted for the local indigenous tri- um, country, the Warramai people. Right, right. Uh, it's an I've been with it since 2016. So it's your baby. Uh, oh yeah, it's yeah I love it. It's a it's a great it's a great aircraft and. Um, as much as you don't really want to spoil the paint job by ever having anything, um, <laughs> having to swap a flight control out and make a mismatch. But um, yeah, we've a lot of us have our own favourites. Sure. Uh, and as much as we, you know, it'll come in and we'll slap our foreheads and go, oh, geez, it's back Not- again. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a love-hate relationship with a machine, of all things. No, I, look, yeah. I can understand that. I've had a few of those with cars. so I can. <laughs> have, have you ever flown? I've been very, very fortunate to um, have two PAX rides. Uh, and, and what's that? Uh, so we'll go back in the backseat of a, a Jewel, uh, one of our training aircraft, the right. F-18B. Right. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing. Like, you, you don't get a full appreciation for what a plane can do until you sit in the back and 
you're sitting in a, a high alphas when they throw the nose up in the air and it feels like the aircraft's hovering and then you look out and you, your wings are flapping around and there's just turbulence coming off the leading edge and you're like, just get me down. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah. does that make you a better mechanic by doing that? Not a better mechanic, but you're more aware of the actual plane's capability? Yeah, yeah. You, re- you don't know what you don't know, right? So sure. um, until you get up there and see what it does... You know, I'm not saying this to endorse it as becoming compulsory, but uh, to take us all up. But it is—it's really amazing to see what the plane does, and and you get a greater appreciation for what what these planes do. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah. I I really do envy your job, um, and the classic Hornet is obviously part. You're obviously always going to be part of your uh, your love affair, um, but you're going to be on the F. 35s, the end of 21, 22, when do you ex- anticipate being involved there? Uh, start of 21. Start so, of 21. Yeah, so as I, I mentioned before, it's just just to learn something new and, um, you know, being on a single platform for so long, um, you kind of crave newness and, and whatnot and um, to be part of an organisation that's going to go and mature an aircraft uh, into further capabilities. Mm. Pretty exciting, really. Mm. Bozzy, you're part of a very important part of the Australian history, the tapestry of Australia. For 100 years now, the RAAF has been involved across the planet. And from the very beginning, if it wasn't for the mechanic, the ground crew, the planes wouldn't fly. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Malaya, uh, confrontation, Vietnam, wherever the ground crew have played an important role. And you as an Australian have been part of that, especially with Operation Okra. You've been involved in a war zone. You're a great ambassador for the Air Force. You're a great ambassador for Australia. Thank you for your time. And as we listen to the plane fly over. (laughs) Thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. Globally, the RAAF has between 500 and 700 people on operations every day contributing to coalition operations, peacekeeping, and humanitarian and disaster relief. The RAAF takes pride in its service. It has a history of endeavour and sacrifice, which has won it a place in the hearts of all Australians and a position of respect among the armed services of all Australia's allies. The RAAF will never tarnish its record. It carries on in the proud tradition of Per Adua Ad Astra. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. Produced by Air Force Association New South Wales, which is a registered charity that focuses on the well-being of Air Force veterans and their families. If you would like to donate funds to help us with this important work, you can search Air Force Association New South Wales in Google and go to our website.